the power now. Let's go. I got the Holy Ghost. I don't need no power. Come on now. Uh, So uh, that does sound so much better, doesn't it? Wow. Okay. Sorry for you people that actually have to hear what I have to say now. Um, All right. Um, But regardless of what you see in those videos and regardless of how you um, see that going out, I'm not saying you have to agree with certain perspectives. Um, We're not even trying to make a statement as a church of of, of those things. What I am saying is... um, Although I, my heart has been broken watching the news this week, and I hope yours has been too, a lot of confusion that's happened in my heart, um, a lot of anger and bitterness, and just oh, just didn't really know how to process it to be honest with you. And I've been on the phone, uh, I've been on the phone with some of my African American friends, weeping um, when they're reaching out to me, saying, I, "I just don't understand the hate. I don't understand the dialogue and the rhetoric around these things." And I've also been on the phone. Um, with a, a fellow friend, um, member of this church, um, who's a police officer, and the anger that he has, and the he feels like he's not being understood, and the confusion and the fear that he has as a police officer in the world today, with all the ra- the tensions that are happening, and um, just seeing both sides of this, and uh, spending our twenty four hours with our city this last week. So you guys know we've been talking about that for the last couple of weeks, and thank you for those who came out last night. But we got to finished the culmination last night our team of 24 hours of different churches coming through um, just praying for our city praying for the nation praying for uh, the nations that God might get his glory and restore and just I I got the privilege to be there for the majority of that event um, through the 24-hour period and watching different churches uh, some of our even some black churches in our in our city coming together and just watching the diversity of gifts but together collectively as a community of people old churches young churches hipster little churches and really traditional churches and i'm telling you our african-american churches know how to worship and pray and i just say that i go oh my goodness uh, and we just all came together and we're just watching this thread of everybody lamenting and mourning god would you bring us together and even this weekend in the providence of god that was been planned for months for us to come together and just kind of not just over the issues that have been charged of this week I mean, because these issues are not new the videos may be new. The issues are not new. They go back from creation. So what are we to do with this? Uh, and clearly our country is divided on these things. There's a fault line that's happening and it keeps getting wider and wider with every uh, video that's posted and all the response back and retaliation. And so listen, God's providence. I believe that with all my heart. So if you're here and you're a guest, we believe by preaching through books of the Bible. Um, and so we lay out our preaching calendar Months in advance, uh, Pastor Mike and I de- uh, determined what we were going to do, and through praying, we determined First Corinthians would be a survey in July, back last August, October, okay? And so now to be in here, in the midst of a letter where God is, through the Apostle Paul, addressing division. I don't think that's an accident. <laughs> of maybe never been more divided, at least in my short life, of seeing the church and so many different polarized opinions. Um, he has us preaching through this, and so we're going to can the sexual immorality, but I want us to look back into 1 Corinthians, and some of these notes were what I should have been preaching last week, but I went too long. <laughs> so I'm just going back and preaching what I should have preached last week. That's really the reason uh, I've changed my sermon. No, just kidding. But 1 Corinthians 1, we looked at this verse. Uh, actually, we have no slides today. Sorry, because I rewrote my sermon <laughs> a few hours ago. So 1 Corinthians 1, Bibles are in your seat. I invite you to turn if you don't have a copy of God's Word. Uh, do it old school style with no screens. Verse 10 says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a big deal. (laughs) I'm appealing to you in light of everything that God is for us in Jesus. It's a big statement. What's the appeal? What's he begging of us as the local church today? That all of you agree. And that there be no, like zero, nilch, nada, no divisions among you. But that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. So we wrestled with that a little bit last week. Um, just put it out before us again. We look in the local church and we say, is this possible? <laughs> in a church, like I've never seen a local church I do this. And so we said this last week, we'll say it again. Um, I love God's word and the honesty of it. The reason he's admonishing this is because that's not the case. And so I hope you're not disillusioned to, for this local church. This is not a perfect church. We have a bunch of junk, and we're divided, and we're messy. Um, and so we're not do, preaching this series in direct, you know, uh, response to some particular issues. By God's grace, he's given us great, supernatural, gospel-centered unity at our church. But um, we do have, we're messy. 
We have our mess is stemming from our sin and our rebellion against God and our rebellion against one another. Uh, we're not, it's not the way it should be. There's sin. It's still affecting this world. As believers, we believe the gospel. It's doing something about that. And listen, this is an us thing. This is what the church is, is to come together and be united. So divisions have no place. And so we can't go back and preach last week's message. But uh, what I want us to do is to jump to chapter 3 and look at some of Paul, how he lays out, and one of the many answers that Paul's going to give and address division in that local church. And so we looked last week that one of the things that Paul rebukes them for is they're dividing over leaders. Say, well, I follow this guy named Peter, and I follow Apollos, and I follow Paul. And some goes, hey, I ain't following none of those dudes. I'm following Jesus. And even the Jesus people were using that as an excuse for division within the local church. And they weren't just following people they they were following those people because they liked the styles they liked the preferences perhaps they even liked some of the secondary and tertiary issues that those men were preaching and the church was just in shambles and divided over these factions um, so paul is writing to that and notice in the context of this we're going to pick up in verse 5 first corinthians chapter 3 what he does is he lays out um, three different pictures of what the church is he says, listen you're being so divided but let me just show you a tangible picture of uh, of the church and the first thing he says is the church is god's field it's god's field and so we're going to see how all these fit together we're going to see that the church is god's field or the church is god's building and then the church is god's temple uh, but all of those things this is the answer as we read these the answers to our divisions and and, and particularly um, from a mutual commitment together as the body of christ to the glory of god in light of eternity i hope we'll see that as we walk through this you'll understand what i mean a people diverse different opinions different preferences different walks of life coming together committed mutually with a covenant commitment to say we want to see god glorified that's why we exist we are here for him so may the name that walks out from here names on our lips is the name of jesus not a church not an issue but jesus like it's a this is a gospel kind of thing we want to see god glorified through us being united together and we do that in light of eternity we get so tunnel vision to what we see today how do we understand the issues and the brokenness of our churches and our world today in light of eternity it changes everything and how then are we to operate when we realize that that's the purpose of our life not ourselves but the glory of god and not the moment but eternity, it changes the way the church operates and functions together and uh, how we deal with this unity in the church. So first, the church is God's field. Read with me verses 5 through 8. Uh, verse 5 first. It says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? They are just servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So I'm not going to make too much comments on this because we've got to get going. But what he says is, listen, leaders are the servants. Church leaders and people, different preferences, they are just the servants. But God is the one who gives the job. <laughs> See, listen, remember the context. They're dividing over these people. And he's looking at them saying, you realize that all those people are important. These pastors and these leaders and shepherds, they're important to you. But they're only important in so much that they are operating in a task and they are subservient to the greater glory of God. And they are operating within the church as God assigned to each. So they're your pastor because God put them there. God, see, the supremacy of God, even over the people, that we, the, the issues that we make ultimate. He says, no, no, no. God's the one that even gave them the position in the first place. Then we see in verse 6 and 7 that leaders are to work the ground, but God gives the growth. Notice, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but it was God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth so again we could preach a sermon series on, on this two ver- these two verses right here but you see the the tension taken away from us and our <laughs> operations and said yeah you have a role in it you're sowing seed so this is applicable to discipleship and mission and evangelism our job is to be faithful to the task that god has given us sow the seed and we trust that the result's up to God, that he will be gracious how he chooses to be gracious. And if anything happens successful, we can't look and pat ourselves on the back and say, we did it well. It's God who gave the growth. And if the harvest doesn't come, we have to ask hard questions and say, were we not faithful? But if we were faithful and he doesn't bless, we trust the providence of God and say that was, he gets more glory through it not working out the way we thought it was going to work out. But the, the focus is on God. 
And then we keep going and we see that leaders work together, but God gives the wages. So he says, he who plants and he who waters are one. So you guys are trying to make them into all these divisions, but we are united. There's something bigger happening here. And that each will receive the wages according to his labor. Again, God is going to bless and pay uh, as needed. So we see the church is God's field and we are just workers in it. It's all about his glory and we get, are caught up in his story getting to do what he's doing in the world. What a beautiful picture of the church. But he, then he says, the church is God's building. And think about all that would be necessary um, for a building to be built, but also for what a building is with all the different blocks, but united together in, de- in a depth. So he's given a picture of unity. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So there he turns to the analogy. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. So let each one take care how he built upon that foundation. So listen, God gives the grace. So it says, verse 10, according to the grace of God given to me, he built. But leaders are to build cooperatively, working together. They say we're on the same team, working toward these things collectively. So, but he says, take care how each builds upon it. This is true for church leaders, but it's also true for us as people in the church. Are you taking care how you are helping build the local church? It matters. It matters. Verse 11, we see that God gives the ability. We just build accordingly. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we don't have to create something here. We don't have to work this up. God has laid the foundation. He's already done it. No one else can do it, but he did it. And that foundation is Jesus. He's the lead pastor of this church. And he's the lead pastor, or lead, the leader, visionary of our lives. And he's the king of kings, Lord of lords. It's the foundation of all of our lives and the foundation of dealing with any issue that may arise in our lives as we're walking with Jesus, including issues of race and systemic brokenness and evil and oppression and division and hate, all must be built on the foundation of Christ. Amen? Then, he keeps going, and this is so uh, controversial and hard, and people have different interpretations of this, but we see that God gives rewards. And so leaders and people in the church ought to build and live in light of eternity. Let's read verse 12 through 15. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work. Now, notice, this is what we're building upon this foundation of Christ. Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved only through fire. You say, man, what in the world do we do with this? I, mean, we're, I wish we had time just to... I should have done it last week. But just dig into this, talk about all the nuances of this. We don't have time to do that. Um, what we do know is this is not a test of whether or not when you stand before God one day, and that is true for all of us, we will stand before a holy God and give an account of our lives. If you are in Christ, this is not to see whether or not you are saved or not. This is not to see whether or not you can make it into heaven. This is not saying, well, if you didn't do enough good, then you lose your salvation in the end. It's not that. It's two different judgments. Uh, we don't have time to get into all this theologically. This is the, the judgment seat of Christ where believers are not giving account whether or not they're in the faith or not in the faith. But it is a judgment where we will all stand before God one day and we will have to see our lives and say, what did we do with what we were given? This is not for our salvation. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, apart from works. We are not saved by our works, and there's nothing we can do to save ourselves, and there's nothing that we can do to lose our salvation. God loves you because he loves you. He loves you based upon Christ's work. He doesn't love you more if you do well, and he doesn't love you less if you do bad. He loves you because of Christ. However, it's gloriously true. We're not leaving that, but in addition to, with that, simultaneously together, it does matter how we live. We talk about that all the time, that this grace that's so scandalous and we can never deserve it does not tell us, well, I guess we can live however we want to. The pressure's off, right? Because if God loves me fully because of Jesus, I don't have to be nervous and anxious about his love for me. And that's gloriously true, that God, his favor rests on us because of 
Christ. But it does matter how we then respond to that grace, walk in that grace. The same grace that saves us does change us. The grace of God that teaches us, to, uh, that appears, teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, Titus says. This grace is not a reason to sin. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound, Paul says. But then his next statement is, so shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? His answer? To, what did he say? God forbid. How shall we who are dead to sin live any longer therein? So he's given a, a warning. There's a lot of warning text, by the way. So how do we say, well, we can't lose our salvation. God loves us apart from our works. But you have to be a hard time reading the New Testament, reading the Bible, but especially the New Testament. Even the book of Hebrews, that's gloriously true about what Christ has done. And there are so many warning texts of take care. Look at yourself. How are you building on this foundation of Jesus? Yeah, the foundation is Jesus. That's gloriously true. We never leave that to go beyond the gospel. Sanctification and life with Jesus is going deeper into this gospel. But he says, some of you are going to be building on a foundation and what you're going to see is what you've built your li- what you've built with your life within the local church is going to burn up. Because it wasn't done for the glory of God. It wasn't done in a lot of eternity. It was done for you. Maybe you wasted yourself, wasted your life, and you didn't do anything productive or anything for the mission of God. Or maybe you were doing all the right things, but you were doing it with, for yourself, self-centered. And so what does it mean that he's going to burn up our works? I mean, it doesn't mean that we're going to lose our salvation. I don't know what it means, but it says we're going to suffer loss. And I don't, I don't know what that's going to look like. Uh, People don't, can't really, if anybody says they understand fully what that means, they, they don't really understand. But God does say he's going to wipe every tear away from our eyes before we enter into the rest of God. And maybe it's the tears that are a result from this. I don't know. But the, the, the admonition is clear. Look at your life. What are you building? And take care, brothers, that you're building on something that's going to last. You're in Christ, but it matters. So we're his field, we're his building, united together with a responsibility, but then we're, see, we're, we're God's temple. So Will read this, so I'm not going to read it again, but verses 16 through 23 was the verses that Will read us um, uh, earlier. And he, I will read verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple? So again, to us, let the Spirit of God speak through His Word. Do you not know that? Do you not know that you're the, the dwelling place of God? So we just, and that God's Spirit dwells in you. So as believers, we believe that, that when you repent of your sin and self and you trust Jesus as Savior and Lord, that the Spirit of God takes up residence in you. So, yeah, we're ordinary, and we're not, we're not the point, like what well, he's arguing. But you have God himself in you. Like the Spirit power to, yes, say no to sin and overcome sin, but that should change the way you view yourself. But get it. Change the way you view others, those who are in Christ. Is that for those of us who are saved in this room, that we are temples, individually, but also collectively. That God dwells in us individually as believers, but this is not just like, so me and Jesus are cool because I got the Holy Spirit and I don't need the church. Like this is in the context of a bunch of people together. We as the church are the temple of God. Use an individual, but an us. And he says, he says, do you not realize that? He asked that question just do you realize the power? You're so divided over these things. If anybody can come together, it should be the church. At this point, you have the Spirit. You can't overcome these differences. It's not just sweeping it under the rug. It's, it's a, you have divine power. And so our world is so divided. And so these principles are not true of the world. And so we, we go seeking reconciliation and unity in the world. This is not this. This is the local church. And so the scriptures all over again say, listen, don't, you can judge the world all you want, but judgment must first begin in the house of God. And we can look at the division of our country. I'm, I'm, let's talk about that. We're ministers of reconciliation to go, but there's divisions in the local church around these issues. Not just issues of race, but it's the one that's kind of charged right now. It's issues all, of all over the place. But then look, notice verse 21. Oh, he says, over chapter 3, so let no one boast in men. By proxy, yourself, or your heritage, or the way you see it. Don't boast in that. For all things are yours. So he's pulling them out. He's rebuking, but he's like, look, you have all things. You have access to this. So whether Paul, or Apollos, or Peter, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours. Christian, 
Like you have everything you need. And you are Christ. You belong to him. And you want to make sure you're settled in that. Christ is, and then he says, in Christ is God. There's a unity to happen within the Trinity. So if you're in Jesus, that it's true that you're in all the fullness of, of the Godhead. And everything that is his is yours. We are inheritors of the promise. In this life and the life to come. God who does not need anything invites us, not because he needs us, but because he loves us and he wants our joy to be found in him. He says, you have everything you need. And those things aren't just things. The everything here is you get God, the fullness of him. He's yours, you're his. So again, this is the context though of division. So he, he's pulling out, see, in all of this, he's saying all the church, before you begin to think that it's yours, <laughs> Can you even think you're doing it? He's like, guys, listen, I don't care who you're following. Those leaders are important. Our roles are important. But it's God who does it. <laughs> the glory of God. He said, listen, you're a building and you're being divided right now. But the foundation is Jesus. It's not the foundation of what you want to build. It's Jesus. And you better care how you build on it. So he's, so he's kind of saying, you're making it all ultimate. But the secondary stuff matters. And when you stand before God one day, how are you going to answer to the, all of this? And then he says, and you are the dwelling place of God. He's focusing our attention off of ourselves, off of our situations. He says, look at God. He gets glory through his church. And we see it through the light of eternity that one day we'll stand before that God. And it matters how, how we live. And so if, we're, if we do that, church, listen, if we understand that we exist for the glory of God and the mission of God in this world, we don't have time to fight with each other. There's something true about that, right? Like if we're on missions, like we don't have time to squabble over the things that sometimes the church squabbles over. And we have this selflessness and this humility in light of this God. And it keeps us, keeps us focused. And so we're going to talk about that mission in just a second, or at least an aspect of that mission. Uh, but I want us to keep going in Corinthians here and look at it a different way. So in light of God's glory and in light of eternity, we must take sin seriously as a local church you tracking so in light of this vision of god in light of one day we'll stand before god we must take sin seriously as a local church yes the sins of our world but first the sins of the church so hebrews 3 i'm gonna jump out real quick you don't have to turn there we're gonna be back in first corinthians i just want to read this uh, let this be an admonition to us all um he says take care brothers lest there be in any of you Listen, he's talking to believers. He's talking to us today, okay? Let's humble ourselves under his word. Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. It's another one of those warning texts. But he says, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You say, listen, there's a, there's a temptation to get so, even in the church, to get so hardened to our own sin. It's not the sin of the person sitting next to you, by the way. He's talking to you as an individual. Don't, don't get hardened to that person's sin for sure. I and mean, that's what community is. We're about to see that. But he says, look at your own heart. Is there anything, any unbelief in you? Like what Larry was saying, like search your heart. Is there any kind of hate that's happening? Any kind of subtleness that's going on in your life? Take care, brothers. Look at it. And then submit to the local church. Verse 13 of Hebrews says, but exhort one another. Love one another and say, hey, brother, sister, like, are you fighting sin? Are you believing lies right now? Sin is deceitful. It lulls us to sleep. And part of what the church is is to, yes, say hard things to one another, not in a legalistic kind of way that so many of us in this room grew up in, and not in just this grace way that says we're not going to talk about these hard things and get step on our proverbial spiritual toes. But some of them come, both of them coming together. Say, yes, grace, and yes, truth. And they're both true at the same time. So, brothers and sisters, are there Look in your heart. Ask the Spirit of God. Search me and know me. Try my thoughts and see. See, show me if there be any wicked way in me. Any evil way. Lead me to the way everlasting. Diagnose the depths of my heart. And First John says, if we say we have no sin, we've deceived ourselves. So the answer to that question ought to be something. That list should be long. So if you're here and you go, I mean, man, I know I'm not perfect, but I'm doing all right. The Bible lovingly says, not I don't say, the Bible says, check it. Like, 
If you say you don't have sin, you've deceived yourself. It's the, you may, the Bible says hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. So let's jump into chapter 5. So he's going to address 1 Corinthians. This is the warning. And I think he, Paul would say the same thing uh, to this church. So again, this is the context of those local believers. But verse 5 says, verse 1 rather of chapter 5. Let's read it together. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Are you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Oh man, I don't have too much time to spend on this, but we've got to address this. What do we do with verse 2? He's calling out sin and saying, there's this dude, um, and it's pretty bad, and you need to remove him. I mean, do we believe God's word is God's word, people? We, do. So we, we can't ignore that. But how many times in the local church have you seen this done, or at least done well? Um, here's the reason I think we are tempted to avoid this. Maybe this is the reason I'm tempted to avoid this. Um, our culture says that discipline is the opposite of love. If you want to call it wrong or discipline me, that means you don't love me. That's not true, church. Christ's commands are good, and they're for our good. And if we really love people, we will look, when we see people going astray within the local church and through the authority and by the, under the authority of God's word, we look at people and say, brother, sister, you're walking away from joy. <laughs> when you're not living according to the commands of Christ, you are pursuing destruction and emptiness and wrath from like. It's for your good. Like, go back for joy's sake. I, if we really love one another, we will speak truth to one another, and we will take our sin seriously. Hebrews 12 says that even God does this. God disciplines those whom he loves. So we can't say if we, this is church discipline here, verse 2, he says, discipline the people with unrepentant sin in your church. We go, how's that loving? <laughs> we're supposed to be loved. That God's love. Love is not opposite of discipline. It's not. But another reason I think we avoid it is our culture values blind acceptance over truth. So verse 6, uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12, um, he's talking about them suing one another. We looked at that last week. But he, I'm going to pull out verse 12. For what, I, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Meaning, what do I have to do with judging America and Twitter and Facebook? I'm about to delete my Facebook. I can't stand <laughs> Facebook right now. Uh, I can't judge those, them. But it is right it is not those inside the church that you, from whom you are to judge. God judges those who are outside. You see what he says? We, we want to quote, well, God says don't judge people, so who am I? He who without sin cast the first stone. That is true. But it's also true that part of what it means to be a local church is to judge one another. To judge one another's sins. There's an accountability here. He said, no, not to all the, the world. Don't judge them. Have patience and grace with them because they don't know Jesus. But for those in the church who claim to know Christ, it is a right thing. To call sin what it is. Um, I think another reason is our culture desires a false unity. Uh, we believe that we just got to all get together and be along, but there's never any admonition to truth. So Matthew 18, I'd really invite you to read that uh, sometime. Jesus himself, he said, well, that's Paul. and whatever. J- Jesus was about love. Well, Jesus himself gives us the process of church discipline. And I want to say this to us because it's so important uh, that we get it. Step one Private correction. So if you see somebody in the church that's sinning, you're to get, or confront them and say, brother, sister, I see this sin. Like, here's God's word. And like, I love you. Like, will you repent of this? And um, if they do, you've, the Bible says you've gained your brother. <laughs> but in the second step, what if they don't repent? What if they push you out? Or what if they agree with you, but then you see that habitual sin? There's nothing they're doing to fight that sin. Well, step two is you bring in a couple more people within the church who loves that person, is committed to that person. And, you together are going to them. And I, and I pray this is happening in our church all the time. And I, th- I do believe we do a fairly decent job at this, um, at least in the circles that I run in, and a small group clarification. But then listen, if they do not repent, Jesus says, uh, even in that, they're still unrepentant. They're here to bring that before the church, the congregation. And for us, we're elder-led. And this happens a lot at our church, is that issues will come to the elders of division within our church. And brothers and sisters have tried to reconcile with one another, and it's still not working. And after a period of time, they come to us and say, there's division here. Will you, um, we have to intervene. We call those brothers and sisters to repent. And there's a long process of walking with them to repent. And if they don't, listen, there is a point in time where we do what we see happening here and we remove church membership and shut down the Lord's table and, 
and, and say, because of your unrepentant sin, we are going to admonish you. We, uh, we will discipline you from a formal way, church-wide. That's when, when it would be brought to you all as the congregation. You say, what? <laughs> Didn't know we did all that. And, and I'm just going to be honest, and we're going to get through this in a second. I feel like we don't do it well. There's been instances of like sexual immorality and unrepentant sin, all that, um, that we've definitely done here at this church. But I think we don't hold that standard like we should. And as studying for this, I wanted to avoid it because this is, in a lot of ways, we can say with integrity, man, we're trying to do this. This is a big gap for us uh, in our church because it's so countercultural. And I think the reason that we don't do it is we oversteer from negative examples because you can think, I'm sure, of either something you've experienced personally or you've seen it on the news or, or with your experiences of the church that trying to hold for purity, don't understand the fullness of Scripture and the gospel and just kick people out of the church you seen that? Like, you're not welcome here anymore because you have this sin. Listen, this is not that. This is not, uh, you're not welcome here if you're messy. Like, listen, you are more than welcome here if you're messy. Amen, church? Back me up on that. You're more than welcome. But we do take sin seriously. And we say Jesus takes sin seriously. And there is a point in time that unrepentant sin. So I, I want to I keep, I'm going to make sure um, I can do this. This is unrepentant sin. This is not, I'm struggling with sin, and now we're all the Holy Spirit police <laughs> coming in like, hey, stop, 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 stop. This is not that, okay? This is not, oh, i got to get out of this church because if they find out i got whatever in my life, then Derek's going to put my name up on the screen next Sunday. Like, this is not that, okay? This is saying, no, not to make light of those things, we say repent of those things, brothers and sisters. Move on from those things. This is not people that are pursuing holiness and repentance and hate and sin but you're still struggling and getting help it's not those people it's the people that say hey i'm good with jesus i want to be members of the church i know jesus and yet clear biblical evidence of saying i have this area of my life and i refuse to repent of it and in community and love and grace when people pursue you don't want to be teachable you go no i would rather have this sin and you look at god's word and say but does god's word not clearly <laughs> can uh, condemn this and you got to do, do with something with that and it's for somebody that says i refuse to submit to the word of god through the authority of the ch- in the church we say listen it's not saying you don't know jesus we're not even saying we don't love you but we're saying because we love you if you continue in unrepentant sin continually 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 you've got to ask yourself the question are you a christian oh man it's the truths of god's word we've got to do something with this and so it's so important for three things, um, a framework for church discipline. I've got to read these really quick. Church discipline must be formed by a high view of the gospel. That we pursue sinners and call them to repentance because God pursues sinners and calls them to pr- repentance. He takes your sin seriously so much that he paid for it. And listen, God will never stop pursuing you. That's good news. And he'll love you so much that he'll send the whole church <laughs> when done well to pursue your heart. That your sin is going to lead you astray and he's going to hold you accountable if you belong to him. But then second, church discipline is defined by a high view of discipleship. That listen, we still struggle with sin, but we, well, when we sin, we, listen church, we ought to experience conviction. We ought to. And to be a disciple of Christ is to invite discipline from him. To say, God, take this sin out of my life. And I'm going to just say this and I'm going to move on. If we do not want to be transformed in the image of Christ, we are not in Christ. So uh, I just ask, I, not to doubt your salvation, but listen, if you have no desire for the things of God and no desire to say no to your sin and to pursue holiness, and I know it takes time. It's a process. I, sometimes I, the reason I doubt God the most is I look at the slowness of this process in me. I'm like, I shouldn't be struggling with what I'm struggling with still. I'm not saying that fix yourself tomorrow and stop struggling. No, no, no. Are you fighting your sin, though? Are you doing something with your doubts? Are you, are you just content in your sin? And if you're content in your sin as you hear the word of God and nothing in you says, no, I don't want that anymore. And I want Jesus. I want what he wants. If, you, if nothing in you does that, like you've got to ask yourself the question, have you encountered him? Like if you believe something else is more beautiful than him, like do you know him? Because he's more beautiful than anything in this world. And then... Um, Verse 3, uh, verse three. that's my point 3, wow. Um, church discipline is motivated by a high view of the church. 
is saying, listen, we must, elders but also members of the church, must guard purity within the church. It matters. And listen, verse, let's read verse 4 together. It's so important. I can't say all that heavy stuff without saying this. Verse 4 of chapter 5. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. So again, we're saying, listen, if you have unrepentant sin, we're giving you to Satan, and we're hoping, but here's what it says, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's so important. The goal of something like this with church discipline, formally and then informally as we do it everyday life, rebuking one another, calling one another sin out, the goal is for that person's joy. It's for the individual. It's out of love. And the aim is that the, out of that, that isolation that people then would say, man, I really do belong to Jesus. I don't want this sin anymore. And come back to which the church gladly receives them back when repentance is happening. But listen, church discipline is for the purity of the church. Um, notice he's calling out the sins, this man's sin, but he doesn't really address the man. He addresses the church. And one person's sin affects the whole. That's why he says the whole leaven. Get the le- unleavened out of your out of the bread because it's going to one little speck is going to hurt the whole the purity of the church matters but the church is then accountable for that person's sin he doesn't rebuke the man he rebukes them for their silence and for doing nothing about it so this is where we're about to transition hang with me he looks at the church and says if you stay silent if you don't deal with this sin you are in sin your sin isn't the sexual immorality this guy was sleeping with like a stepmom was what was happening he's like and he was unrepentant about it he said, I, I, yeah, deal with him, but I'm going to deal with your sin first. Like, you are seeing that. He claims to be in Christ, and there's no repentance, and you're not dealing with that. You are at fault. You're not responsible for his sin. He's responsible, but you are responsible um, for how you engage. Silence and doing nothing is still sin. The church's silence is pride. We think discipline would be prideful, but the Bible says the opposite. They were arrogant in their avoidance of dealing with unrepentant sin. Notice verse 2 again, back up, we read it earlier. And you are arrogant. (laughs) Because you refuse. You're holding on to some idea of false unity. You're afraid of offending somebody. You're afraid of being labeled as one of those people in churches. And we oversteer from all the hurt of it's done poorly. He goes, you're doing that out of pride. You're puffed up. It ought not so to be. He says, ought you not rather to mourn? To mourn. So that's context of what's happening in Corinthians and what we want to be about as a local church. We see the glory of God. We're committed to that. We see in light of eternity. It matters how we live. And then we work those things out in the context of a community who loves the gospel and loves grace and calls people to say, receive that grace. But that also means we must repent of our sin to receive that grace. And we are committed to one another to say, we want to be above reproach. We want to be pure. And we want to love Jesus. And we together in a messed up eclectic group of ragamuffin messed up people we say the way not in our purity and our we don't have anything we don't have any problems at our church no, no no we have problems but when we have problems we hate it and we repent of it we love jesus more than we love ourselves and we more than we love our comfort and our sin and together and we say we're going to enter in and get in each other's grill a little bit and say i'm not gonna let you go that way, that route even if you, we get labeled as the non-grace church i will keep preaching grace but grace also is truth you can't have grace if you don't have truth it's not grace it's some weird thing that we've created but it's not biblical grace so listen all of that to say now back to in light of what's happening in the world today i'm not addressing the issues of the world i'm addressing issues within our church guys listen we must affirm the reality of racial oppression in our in our lives like racism exists if we're going to be on mission to be ministers of reconciliation, that God was, in, God was in Christ reconciling all things to himself. He's given you the ministry of reconciliation. That's ultimately about people who are lost in their sins being found and who are dead in their sins being saved. We, first and foremost, before we are social, enter into social issues, we want to see lives changed. Amen? That's the mission of the church, is to speak the gospel and see people saved. But it also includes when, when the church sees brokenness and the effects of people's sin. Our sin wrecks re- us from God, but also our sin uh, separates us from other people and it damages everything. All systems are now broken. Our relationships with one another are now broken. If we're going to be gospel-centered and mission-centered, of course we're going to preach repentance and believe the gospel. But while we do that, as we do that, we will fight for 
uh, issues of brokenness that stem from our personal rebellion against God. We must. And one of those issues today is the tensions and the sin around all this racially charged stuff. It's a reality. It's a reality. So I do not have time. So I'm going to run through these quickly, okay? And let's, t- let's talk. Let's have coffee, lunch, come over to my house. We can keep having this dialogue. But I think it's important. We've got to understand the limits of our perspective within a majority culture. Meaning, the majority of us in this room are white, which means you are privileged. Differently than our African-American or people of other ethnicities. You have a different perspective. Like, you don't have to worry about, I mean, how many people out of, after seeing the videos this week had to tell your kids to be careful of how they respond to things? Like, most of us, that doesn't cross our radar. But for our African-American brothers and sisters, it, it did. Fearful for their lives. Like, that's something that's true of the minorities in this world. Not just, not just the black thing. It's all ethnicities. The, the privilege exists. Like You say, well, it's all about working hard. But listen, people, two people can work the exact same in our broken world and our systems, and they can work the exact same and still not get the opportunities that a, a white man would have. People are minorities. That's true. If you want to talk about that, we'd love to uh, wrestle through with this. Um, I, I wrote down, because I was kind of angry when I wrote this, uh, morning uh shut up and listen but i'm gonna be nicer about that <laughs> it was really to my, myself okay i wrote that down um the bible says rejoice with those who rejoice but it says to what you remember yeah mourn with those who mourn weep with those who weep and right now our african-american brothers and sisters are weeping and the reaction should not be logic truth it, the reaction should be weeping and mourning you say well i don't disagree and there's truth well, first, well, let's talk about some of the things we disagree with because we might be off on that. We may be informed a little differently than what we think. But first, the first reaction is just to mourn. There's so many proverbs that we could go into about being quick to, to listen but slow to speak, and there's a reality when it comes to issues like this. We know this. How many people, If let's just say pastorally, I've heard this example before, but if I went to a home of somebody in our church and their kid died of a tragic accident within their house because the kid was electrocuted, let's just use that example. I've heard that before. And it was, it was a result because those parents didn't childproof the house, let's say, right? The kid dies. If I walk in as a pastor in that moment and the parents are mourning, they're carrying out the kid's body, you think the proper thing is to start telling them truth in that moment? Like, you should have childproofed your house. Like, how insensitive is that? No, you go in there and you weep with them. Maybe the truth comes out. Maybe we walk with that. It's absolutely true. But in that moment... You should die to yourself and die to that, not in a separate of truth, but mourn with those who mourn, even if you can't see it from that perspective, even if you disagree with it. At the very least, just listen. Listen. Seek to understand the nuances of racism and lament and repent. So I don't think there's anybody in this church that would say, I'm a racist. And there's not even any um, blatant racism that's happening here. Like, I mean, and if it is, your elders will find it and we'll step it out because that has happened in our church before i'm not talking about that all, all of us i mean I think we get it we're hearing this and going yeah Derek, lay off man we're not racist like those people might be but we're not but listen it exists in us more than we realize of seeing of somebody of a different color and having a just a, a i mean i've heard this example before and larry and i've chatted about this a little bit this week and if you um this is just an example so don't take it as trite it's an example of in the middle of the night if there's a a white man walking towards you and an African-American man walking towards you, if you have more fear over that African-American man than you do the white man, there might be just a little bit of something that's happening down in us of this racism. That's just an example, but um, I think it's pretty telling for us. And I just want to be honest right here. I grew up in this area, and I don't know if I knew any non-white person in my childhood um, where we grew up. Um, And so... And grew up kind of with a perspective of that I would argue I would label as racist today, and um, from the church and just people in my life. And so I was the one doing. I was even almost outspokenly racist. And God has just absolutely changed my heart. And I, I, I sit back and I know this exists in me. There was a moment in college where I was listening to a liberal professor talk about the need for belonging and understanding white privilege and listening to the minorities and fighting for diversity and not even from a gospel perspective but i'm also learning the gospel as i'm following jesus and those things collided for me and i realized and it's been a process of repenting and lamenting my personal racism so don't just automatically i'm not a racist because i'm not that whatever that is in your mind like it exists in us more than we realize 
and we've got to identify and put it to death. And it exists in me. There's just statements that I say and there's thoughts that I think that I don't want that anymore. There was a point in time where I condoned it. I don't even want it, and it exists in me. And I think the only reason I know it exists is because I'm having these dialogues, and it's such a passionate thing for me. We want to be a church that fights for racial reconciliation. So I'm more aware of it now, so I know how to put it to death. But it still exists, like in my heart, and I hate it when I see it, and I want to understand it, and I want to apologize and just and try our best to fix it. Um, so listen, we can't just say, well, I'm not that, so this doesn't apply to me. And we can't say, well, look how far we've come, how much progress we've made. But what do we really mean by that? Because honestly, we haven't come that far. And a lot of the reason is we have not come that far since the 60s. It's been progress, but not anywhere close. The work is not done. And so we must repent and seek reconciliation by the power of the gospel. So racism, guys, listen, we understand it rejects humans as image bearers. Made in the image of God, even though there's differences. Racism rejects the very gospel and the story of Scripture itself. Like Jesus died for all people equally. He didn't pay more for you than he did for somebody else. And so and racism rejects what the church is. We just read it earlier that God is pulling a people together for himself from every walk of life, every color and ethnicity, united, see, united, together. Like, that's what he's doing in the world. And so to reject that, to refuse to enter into God's plan to diversify his people is out of step with the gospel. To say that's just kind of a put, no, within the church, us, the way we interact, to refuse to say God is a diverse God and God not not just loves all people, I know we know that, but to unite us in such a way that is a tangible expression of the gospel. If the church can't model unity with racial issues, how can we expect our world to model this? Christ purchased this oneness together in the gospel. And racism is just one expression of our sin before a holy God and before um, one another. So I'm running long, but I'm going to do this anyway. <laughs> um, so we got we to fight for racial reconciliation. We have to fight for it. He said, Derek, what do we do? All right, three things, and I promise these will be a lot quicker than the other 18 points I've had today. Um, what are we to do? First, we need to pray. First, pray for your own heart. Like, is any of this in me? Uh, and you may even right now be pushing back, and that's okay. Like, I, I understand that this is like, oh, like, I understand. But let me just ask you to humble yourself and just pray. Like, is this me? Is there anything in me? Like, maybe I just need to learn a lot about this because this is first time I've heard some of this. Or man, it's, just pray for your own heart. And ask if there's anything in it. And when you find it, not just in guilt, but repent and lament that this is true of part of what it means to be broken in our sin. Um, but I want us to pray for forgiveness among both. Um, like what happened in Dallas is not a right response. And so we fight, we pray for forgiveness, we pray for healing, we pray for reconciliation, we pray for uh, good dialogue around this. We pray that healing would happen through the gospel, through our churches, but it, it spills over into our city that spreads the kingdom of God in these ways, that people will come to faith as the results of conversations around these issues. Let's pray. Let's pursue. These are all P's, so you know we're good Southern Baptists, right? Um, pursue. Pursue what? Well, first, pursue Jesus, because when you pursue Jesus, you're going to love what he loves. But then second, pursue diverse relationships. You say, you tell me to go make friends with a black guy? Yeah, like, please. And not just like your token for like, really? Really, really, like, engage in those relations. We want to see that expression here, but I'm not just worried about diversity in a room. I want diversity. If we have diversity in a room and we don't have diversity with our lifestyles, we've missed the point. And so that, that means you've got to get around where you're going to be around people that are different than you. Build friendships. Have them into your home. But listen, when you do that, ask. Ask questions. Ask if this is a safe place for us to have these dialogues. I have these Friends, these brothers in my life, African-Americans especially, saying, I need you to teach me that when I say that, even though I may be innocent in what I say, you hear this. And I'm not going to just kind of push back against you and try to defend why I said it. I'm just going to say, I'm sorry. Teach me how not to say those things. Ask like, when I say that, and then when you hear it, listen and seek to really learn. And let that be reciprocal. Um, we pray that that would happen. Read and inform yourself. Read good books. If you want a list of books that God's used in my life over this issue, I will be glad to do that. Letters to a Birmingham jail, 
Uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, highly recommend. Bloodlines by John Piper. If you want a theological perspective on it, highly recommend. There's others I could give you. Um, fight for reconciliation in everyday life. When you, see, when you begin to, your radar comes up that this is an issue. It just is. Um, and when it begins to come up, lovingly rebuke conversations that steer that way. Not in some chip on your shoulder mean, but just say, but the silence in those moments is deafening. Um, fight for diversity. And if you have kids, like teach them not just different cultures and just the people aren't like them, but like teach them how to engage and how to love um, that. And let me just say this too. This is not just saying, hey, we don't see color. Like I think people say, oh, God doesn't see color. I don't see color. I think that's almost just as damaging. This is not that. This is not saying we're just going to muddy the lines of differences. We have differences. But entering into those differences with the gospel and with a mutual like repentance of sin and a pursuit of unity and say, I have to ask these questions. We have to live this out um, in our differences. So it's not just ignoring all the cultural differences. And there's even, but we're saying we're not going to let those divide us. This is not just some bloody in the lines of, I don't even see different. No, like, don't rob them of that. Diversity glorifies God. He made people diverse. So let it be diverse, but unified. And then lastly, persevere. Like this, if we're going to live this out, um, this is hard. And I, I just want to say um, this morning, like I, I've avoided this topic a lot in the local church because I'm afraid of what the response would be because it's kind of charged in our area. It is. Um, on the other side of it, of refusing to listen to our, our African-American and other ethnicity brothers and sisters. And out of fear and insecurity and pride in my own heart, I ignore these situations. I do a lot face-to-face, um, which is probably the best way to do it. Uh, but I've avoided it from the pulpit. You just need to know that. So if you're coming, like, at a dis- like I've avoided this for a really long time. I just couldn't ignore it uh, after this week. And uh, Daniel and I talked. He's preaching at the Gray Campus, and he's doing very similar this morning as well. And so your church and your elders want to come together and say, we want to understand, and we have to call each other. So what if sins like this in our world, like, will we repent if this is us, and it is us? And even if it's not in your own heart, well, are you being a peacemaker? Are you fighting for this unity? Are you... Being an advocate, are you speaking out against these things? Are you helping dialogue be healthier? Get off Facebook with just popping up links and like be redemptive in it. I had to just fight not to put anything on social media this week, but a couple Bible verses, and that was controversial even, so probably should just not do that anymore. Um, so, brothers and sisters, let us look inward. Um, not just of sin of racism and division and hate in our world. Yes, that. Um, but all sin. Like, will we be a church that takes it seriously? And will we say not, well, we can't talk about these things because they're awkward. We might be misunderstood. Uh, we talk about these things because we have to. And lovingly, I say, repent of our rhetoric and our attitudes and just listen to people who are hurting right now. Um, and maybe we repent of all sin for the glory of his name. So let's bow and let's pray and respond to these things.